Blog Talk Radio. Great joy and good afternoon, my friend. The Nepalese Meditation Bowl is chiming, centering your mind and delight on the art of the CEO. The show that brings you the most fascinating, the most helpful people in the business community from around our terrestrial orb. I am Bart Jackson, the Hieronymus Bosch of business. And isn't it time that your marvelous ideas were not only heard, but remembered, in fact, pressed so firmly into folks' minds that it's your ideas that will guide their decisions? Well, press your own ears a little closer to the speaker, my friend, because we have cognitive brain scientist Dr. Carmen Science. Dr. Carmen Simon, forgive me, and she is going to make you, as her own book is titled, Impossible to Ignore, and unlike uh, your host, you will be remembered in a very good way. So, Carmen, you have studied the decision and memory process in the brain like few other people, and what I love is that you've taken this, this dry, gray matter theories and put it into a highly contributing company, Rexy Media, that, that, that helps people uh, make their ideas a little stronger. So, And I'm glad you've done that, and so I have one initial question for you. You have just heard the Nepalese Meditation Bowl, which launched our show. Now, my wife and I picked this up after we came climbing down from Tibet into Kathmandu, and we got it from the monks. The monks use it to start meditation, and uh, the, the Buddhist monks, they ring this bowl. How does that help center the mind and impress something on the memory? Ooh, it's a, it's a good uh, good part of our conversation because um, whenever we create any kind of content or any kind of information that we want to impart to an audience, and we want mm-hmm. that information to first draw attention because attention is the precursor for memory quite often. We tend to remember that ah. to which we pay attention mm-hmm. in the first place. So <laughs> we have to then ask a few other questions before we can answer yours, which is um, how does the brain decide what to do next? We quite I often see. have uh, choices. How we decide to pay attention to you or pay attention elsewhere. Life, as you know, is a series of temptations. It's a yes or no. It's a now or later. It's pay attention to this show or have something else. And when we decide what we want to do next, the brain has three paths that it, it typically goes on. One is a reflexive path. It's, one, it's, it's an innate one. It's a biologically given one. And our reaction to sounds, very much like the one that you played, is uh, mm-hmm. one example of such, uh, such reflex. And especially given that we don't have, we have ear lids, but we don't have, we have eye lids, but we don't have ear lids, it's impossible mm-hmm. to ignore that sound. The other two choices ah. to uh, decision-making um, are habitual. So for monks, for instance, not only is it reflexive, but it's also habitual because they've heard that so long that they know what comes next without any kind of cognitive energy. And the third path of decision-making ah. is a goal-oriented one. So if I mm-hmm. worked with you and you had a goal to become focused and centered, the difference between the first two, the reflexive and habitual versus the goal-oriented decision-making types, is that the third one requires energy versus that sound that you just Mm. played, whether it's reflexive or habitual, it requires very low cognitive energy. Right. Okay. So I think I'm so glad you said that because you have covered how things 
wander in through our gray matter, how, how it gets, uh, how, how ideas get settled there, and that's very important. So, and there you have it, uh, my friend. There's a, an aperitif of today's feast of wisdom, and so whether you are a scattershot sage attorney seeking to apply the lessons from all history to a very pragmatic solution like Lou, or, a Mon- or you're a Mongolian immigrant whose Horatio Algeristic rises fostered uh, tour business, taking folks back to his remote and lovely homeland like Jossa, please pull up your chair a little closer and allow the art of the CEO to help your career thrive and your ventures flourish. And in fulfilling my duties as a proper host, before you enticingly is laid a few utensils for today's Feast of Wisdom. And as first utensil, as I always do, allow me to remind each of you hearing my voice that the good Lord has gifted you with the title and privileges of Chief Executive Officer of yourself. And since that's the most important position you'll ever hold in your career, please allow me to ask, will this be the day that you examine your wonderful self and discern your personal value proposition? That is, what do you personally contribute to a gathering that you come into? Uh, And will you try to hone that contribution? Or will you just let your life remain unexamined and assume that egregious good looks and charm will carry you through forever? (laughs) The choice is truly yours. And the second utensil, uh, you need to steep your lips into a little laughter and taste a scriptural recitation from the 102 Best Business Quips book. So let me pull that out here. Okay, hold still. And Okay, here we go. A- 89, number 89. Our consultant told me I needed to get more personal with our employees, so I had that guy in HR fetch me a list of their names. <laughs> and as an afterthought... You know, most symphonic conductors address their orchestra members by instruments, like, hey, third trombone. But maestro Jacques Lacombe always addresses his fellow musicians by their first name. And wouldn't you rather make music for him? So if you smirk a bit over that quip, we have them literally by the books full. Uh, Just visit bartsbooks.com, that's B-A-R-T-S-B-O-O-K-S.com, and grab a copy of either 101 or 102 Best Business Quips books, and you will have a whole new quiverful to make you the clever tongue, green-eyed envy of the chain gang at work. And as a third utensil, uh, perhaps we should uh, appropriately entitle this utensil the brain food fork, we proffer you the answer of last week's business quotation. That is, the name of the author. What is the name of the author who said, speak when you're angry? and you'll make the best speech you'll ever regret. That was none other than the author of The Devil's Dictionary, The Devilish, Mr. Ambrose Bierce. And later in the show, by the way, we we have blurting your way another enriching quotations. And if you are among the learned souls who knows the author of that quote, simply scribble that down as you believe him or her to be and email that to info at bartsbooks.com. That's I-N-F-O at B-A-R-T-S-B-O-O-K-S dot com. And if you're correct, your knowledge will earn you a marvelous gift freshly disemboweled from the dungeons of Bart's Books Bookstore. Uh, But here we are now with utensils in hand, so I beg you, grab your fork and discover from our guest, cognitive scientist and author of Impossible to Ignore, Dr. Carmen Simon. Now, Carmen, you say people remember, uh, only act on what they remember, but, which makes a lot of sense. And 
so even if you're sort of listening to a, a facile tongue soul as myself, people really don't remember a whole lot of what uh, is, is told them. Am I right on that? Yes, it's, it's unfortunate because we may be listening to the most fascinating facts and the most fascinating stories, such as the ones that you have just shared. But in two days from now, if we were to interview listeners of this show or just audiences in general, we would realize that our memory undergoes an exponential curve in the sense that the most uh, extreme amount of forgetting happens in the first 48 hours after we've been exposed to information. And the curve tapers after that. So the good news is that the little that tends to stay there tends to stay there long term. So the challenge that I have for all of our listeners is that as we create communication, regardless of the type, to be in control of that small metaphorical 10% that people tend to remember long term. And I say metaphorical because in business content, it's hardly ever the case that we know exactly how much people retain. We know it's very little. And not only is it very little, but it's very little and at random. That's where the the misery uh, joins the injury. So you're saying that just because I really, really want you to remember this part of my speech, uh, you're not. that's not the part that you really, really are most likely to remember, correct? Unless you know how to apply specific techniques to make sure that you're very deliberate about that very part and you're not leaving it to chance. Like, for example, I remember listening to a keynote presentation a while back, and uh, the only thing that I remember now months later is the fact that uh, in Italy, 17% of people believe that it's okay to have sex and text at the same time. And I'm sure that if you were to... If we were I, to I think ask it must the be presenter, the just, it must be the XT juxtaposition. Nothing else would, of course, plant that in your mind. Uh, <laughs> but I'm sure that um, the, the important point that uh, that we all uh, have to focus on is the fact that if we were to ask that presenter, what would you like the audience to remember days later, months later, it would have probably not mm-hmm. been that uh, that small tidbit. It would have probably been something more important as, and with bigger consequences. But unfortunately, if you're not taking charge of what you want others to remember, the memory will be very small and at random. Okay. I have. A, so I think you've just hit me really hard where I live because uh, I love jokes and quips and so forth. And here I was standing in front of a group of, for, of uh, mostly tech folks of, for a cybersecurity network. Uh, event. It was, uh, and there were about a couple of hundred people in the room, and they had asked me to sort of come and break the ice on this thing. And I had, what I really wanted them to do was to remember me and remember um, a couple of the books that I was was going to mention in this brief little opening. But I started it with, I started the line with my, as I usually do, my my speech with a joke. I said, teach a man to shoplift and you can feed him for a day but teach him to steal your identity and he'll dine on steak and caviar far into the future and so forth and so on everyone laughed everyone thought that was funny and then i went on with my speech and are you telling me that this joke up front thing may not be the cleverest move because they'll remember the line and they'll forget everything else (laughs) 
it's a it's a very sobering question that uh, that you're asking. Starting with a joke or starting with a story. Which in my case is no mean trick. I seldom ask sober questions, but go ahead. <laughs> starting with <laughs> those sorry. kinds of techniques is uh, is not a, is not a mistake. But you just have to be careful that indeed, as you're saying, people may not remember the laughter and, and forget the source and or the main point that you wanted to make. So. The, uh, the guideline that I'd love to offer to everyone is if you are indeed starting with jokes or miniature stories, which is a, a good technique, make sure that you work very diligently at linking whatever that joke was to your main 10% message. So, uh, words, uh, thank you, thank say, you. Um, <laughs> so you're talking about the uh, teaching the uh, the man to, uh, to shoplift and... Uh, Yes, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and having that uh, linger on for for a lifetime, then that idea would have to be very strongly connected to whatever else you're saying afterwards. Okay, now I know that in your book, you you point out the fact that we are uh, in in almost a Skinnerian black box kind of way. You point out that we remember things based. Uh, you gave the three. Uh, pathways, but they're all connected with our preference for pleasure versus pain, avoiding pain and having pleasure. And uh, so in Shakespeare's Salad Days, that is, when when Shakespeare was a young student, there was a common saying in Elizabethan England that, quote, the human buttocks provided the absolute ideal tool for memorizing Latin. And uh, that that was back in the days when uh, if you forgot a Moa Masamat, you were uh, going to have it, uh, <clears throat> shall we say, pounded into you with a cane on the butt. And uh, so d- does this, is this really, uh, so is that a good way? I mean, do we, does this, does this fit in with your, your program, how, how the brain operates? <laughs> so are you saying Or, or, or some organ operates, are... I don't know. It, it could work. In, if we are associating the idea of having to remember something with some punishment that we receive if we yeah. don't. Because it, it sounds like that's the that's the point you're making, right? Right. right. <laughs> but if we if if we forget something, then there will be negative consequences. And uh, I enjoy that point because the brain, in addition to looking for ways to conserve energy every day, every single moment because the brain does one thing and one thing only really well for us, it helps us fight another day. And in that fight, it consumes a lot of energy. And whenever right. it finds a chance to conserve that energy, it will take it, which is why people fall asleep in presentations, for instance. But in, in, that, uh, in that fight also, the brain is constantly looking for either receiving rewards or avoiding punishments. So as we focus on some piece of information and we know that there are negative consequences to be met, then it's more likely that we pay attention. And as we discussed earlier with the bell sound, if we pay attention, we're more likely to remember. <laughs> okay. That's a little parenting tool, we'll... I guess. <laughs> For parenting yeah, tools, it could, it could work. In a business circumstance, I don't know that mm-hmm. I would advocate the uh, the use of uh, punishments in order to get people to pay attention. It has been done. But the reason that's not um, effective long-term, it could be effective short-term, but for long-term, the brain strives a lot and thrives a lot more on that which is positive 
which then has bigger implications into your health, into your well-being, and into the stability of your emotions. All of which. So we really do, despite all the political ads in the United States, we really do seek a positive rallying point, not a negative one. But the brain, that is our individual brain does, right? Long, long term. Short term, it's very tempting. Long term, right. To, uh, yeah. Yes. Short term, it's very tempting to, and it's, it's working too, when you, when you threaten and you provide things that uh, are, appear as a threat. But long term, those are not sustainable. It's the same thing with, with your personality traits. Think of the last time that you're trying to portray an image that you're not or trying to come across oh, as somebody yeah. that you're not. You may have been able to fake it for an evening, but staying there where you don't belong for a week, for a month, it just becomes so exhausting that the brain is looking to conserve energy, remember? So it's very hard to sustain it. That's amazing. I, this conservation of energy is something I think that most of us are not aware of. We, we tend to think of the brain as, as, as this endless juggernaut, and I'm glad that you brought that out. It, it, it just makes the whole pathway, and those little gray cells make a lot more sense to us. You are listening to The Art of the CEO, which every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time streams magically through the mightily misunderstood realms of cyberspace, where you may listen and download this episode and all others by listening by visiting blogtalkradio.com slash the art of the CEO. Yes, that's blogtalkradio.com slash the art of the CEO. And at this point, after all Carmen has given us, I think it is only time uh, in the midst of this Feast of Wisdom to take a brief sorbet, if you are as well stuffed as I am through uh, her, the many uh, uh, revelations that she's brought to us. And this very day, uh, it, is, it is time for me to introduce to you the company by whose good graces we are here, and that is Prometheus Publishing, uh, a company that would like to invite you to take a look at uh, one of its latest uh, books that has helped many women in their careers. It is called Behind Every Successful Woman is Herself. And this is a, a really a gem of a guide, embracing the thoughts of leading business women, and it provides the techniques, the disciplines, and the all-important attitude for those ladies who want their careers and their ventures to, to soar meteorically. It makes an ideal gift for the graduate who's on her way into the business community, and you may pick up a copy of that at bartsbooks.com bookstore. That's B-A-R-T-S, B-O-O-K-S dot com. And by the way, while you're on that website, if you enjoyed today's quip and said, gee, I'd like to laugh a little bit, and I'd like a little bit of wisdom flung at me every week, uh, we invite you to just go to that little blue mailbox at the BartsBook.com homepage, click on that, and you can subscribe. And absolutely free by the eternal enigma of email, you'll receive a gift of laughter and a touch of wisdom every week. And returning our attention to uh, energetic enigmas, uh, if you've just tuned in, we're talking with uh, the cognitive scientist, Dr. Carmen Simon, who is explaining to you how you can make your words into a pearl in the oyster that is ever polished and turned over and over in people's memory and leads them to the gem-like actions that you desire. Carmen, I'm going to uh, – I have a problem I, I never seem to be able to remember or get in memory what I personally want uh, I am going to I am sitting here right now 
and I'm going to sing you this. Use A-L-L, all, all, all in your automatic washing machine. Now, that was a song that was sung to me over television when I was about five, and I still remember it, and it's still there. And my question is to you, that's, uh, is it poetry? Is it the music? Is it, uh, do we not like the sounds of things? Is that not one of the major ways to implant things in memory? Oh, yeah, for sure. So um, all that you listed in terms of uh, the rhythmic uh, choice of the words and um, the uh, the repetition, I guarantee that that message that you just uh, shared with us, that message did not appear just once on television. It appeared multiple times, and it was oh, there, yes. imp- impossible <laughs> to ignore. So, for instance, in a week, how often do you think you would have heard that message? Well, that's true. That's true. I probably heard it several times in a week, and uh, and with my rapt young mind, it, it was all just uh, hitting my poor uh, ears and eyes. <laughs> and also, years back, we had a bigger luxury, which we don't anymore. Uh, messages didn't seem to be so much part of a, a bigger sea of messages to the point where mm-hmm. we can distinguish which jingle is one versus another. If I were to ask you now to sing some jingles from, let's just say, insurance companies, some of them do a really right. good job, but some of them may not. Is there one that comes to your mind, like, really right off the bat? Yes, there's, uh, there's the one of farmers, insurance and you do that because i can give you i could give you uh the name i won't uh i mean the 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 line that they use i won't bother but the reason you remember it is because in the background something is either exploding cars are dropping out of the sky cows are flying past you (laughs) or something like this and that uh as uh thoreau said that does concentrate a man's mind wonderfully it, uh, it's so well, now, true, and, and the point that uh, we're both making is the fact that to turn something into a memorable unit, there isn't just one single variable that's at play. There are multiple variables that, it, that are at play, and uh, in the Impossible okay. to Ignore book, I've identified the 15 variables that we can use to influence other people's memory, and from the research that I've done, I discovered that in order to make a segment memorable, you don't necessarily have to use all 15, but you have to use at least nine. And out of oh, those you have nine, nine. Probably, Boy. yes, so it's uh, it's fairly uh, it's fairly strong, and you have to put some effort into it because, as you can imagine, uh, memory is not a given; it is earned when it comes to other mm. people's memory. And um, if oh, you're Carmen, excuse me as... for interrupting you, but I wanted, I would, that is what we call a quill pen moment. Ladies and gentlemen, we have just had a timeless truth spoken by Carmen Simon <laughs> that memory is not a given, it is earned. So I would like you all to dip your pens in the inkwell and jot down that memory is something earned and it takes work and effort on your part to discern what other people need to, to remember. And I'm glad you did that. And I got to tell you, Carmen, most speeches today um, that that are trying to motivate people toward an action, either motivate them generally in a motivational speech, or uh, the CEO comes out and tries to uh, get everybody to all psyched up to fill the company coffers. Uh, most of these speeches are what I call carrot dangling. They they.
they motivate. They say you'll get better sales. This will increase your sales. This will win you a promotion. This will uh, help make you get you greater prestige within the business community. And th- am, am I right in that? Aren't we overplaying the uh, the dangled carrot motivation card uh, to when we want people to act, and that's not good enough alone? Think about that motivational factor from from the angle of it always has to be there because otherwise you even if the brain remembered it wouldn't it wouldn't act. For instance, I'm sure right. that there are many circumstances where you remember something. Maybe you remember some of these quotes that you're beautifully sharing with us, and you may just remember them but not do anything about them. So what pushes us into action is that extra dose of motivation that's always needed. So that's a must. However, I feel mm. like maybe you're coming from um, at it from the angle of what happens if we're using the wrong motivational driver. In other words, if I ah. dangle that carrot that you're talking about and you're saying I'm going to promise you uh, prominence and uh, what you're after is uh, teamwork, then I'm dangling mm. the wrong motivational carrot. So the question that anyone who creates communication with the intent to be memorable and impact the decisions, we have to ask, what is the motivational driver, the right one for my audience at that particular time? And usually those motivational drivers are, are shared into various buckets, so to speak. You might have people okay. that you're addressing who are very um, much uh, achievers. I'm sure that you know many of those people who get um, yeah. pushed into action if you promise uh, problem solving or um, even some yeah, pressure. Yeah, this is the challenge. I get to create something. I get to solve a problem. I get to uh, uh, I shoot for the bonus. And, um, and, uh, and the bonus thing. is not just cash, but it's a way of keeping score and so forth. Yeah, I see. So, but I have yeah, to know... So which bucket mm-hmm. my audience is going to pick up is what you're saying. Exactly. Or which so one they're watching. Between, yes, between achievers or maybe you have some people who are more builders in the sense of uh, they enjoy creating things and developing others. And perhaps you have people who are more caregivers in the sense of empathy and uh, joining other people mm. in an effort. Then you might have people who are simply driven by rewards such as money and uh, there's nothing, no shame in that. If that's your category, then appeal to that. And maybe you have some people who are simply thinkers. So like I'm sure you and I may belong in that category. We enjoy learning and the excitement of discovery and uh, looking for new things. And that would be the right mm-hmm. motivational driver for people who want to address us. Oh, well, that's – I see what you're saying. You know, now, let's, let's take an example. Let's, let's give uh, – a good solid example here. Everybody today is running a webinar, a seminar, a talk, or a presentation. They want to get people to come to this. Uh, they want to get people to come to the seminar or, or, or listen to the webinar. And can you think of someone who has done it right, done it cleverly, done it uh, done it well, uh, or someone who's done it or someone who's done it wrong? Um, who would you say if 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 I I'm, I want to have 200 people uh, out of uh, my 300 person plant come and visit uh, come to this seminar? Um, what should I? Well, where's my pitch? What should I? What should I go for? To connect uh, this question to what we were just discussing in terms of motivational drivers, 
the best pitch would be the one that appeals to the right motivational driver. So let's just consider the difference between uh, these messages. If I were to appeal to an audience who is composed mainly of uh, thinker types, if my message was join us to learn five techniques about marketing automation, that word learn or join us to discover what you're, uh, what you're doing wrong in marketing app and automation, that would work. So notice I'm using keywords that I know would appeal to people who are more the thinking type. If I were to right. talk to people who are mainly achievers, so that's their main motivational drivers, my pitch would change to words such as join us to challenge your uh, approach to marketing automation. Uh, join us to solve the three current problems in marketing automation. Join us to eliminate the pressure that you're feeling as you're dealing with mm. marketing automation. So see there are keywords that want to boost your sales, want to want to uh, move your company forward, right? I, and uh, that would be a third category, yes. Mhm. Mhm. I see. Okay. I I think you you really have have come uh, come away very well with that. Uh, I just. Um, Oh, there's so much more I want to talk to you about. But uh, one of the things is a uh, business, as we know, is an ever-plotting bad wagon that lurches to the tune of someone's uh, of someone else's last success. And today, the the real home run in presentations is storytelling. You mentioned this before. You know, oh, tell us a ghost story like we used to hear at camp, Mr. CEO. You know, and uh, could you give us just two good things, two one or two really solid points? If I am going to try to drive people into action with a story, one or two things that I should, should take to mind. The best story from a neuroscientific perspective is a story that has these three pillars in it. One is a perceptive pillar, and by that mm -hmm. I mean painting um, an image in an audience's mind that has a lot of sensory stimulation. So, for instance, if I said to you, uh, he had leathery hands. You can you can picture that. You can almost feel it. So I activated mm. one part of your brain. If I said to you, he kicked right. the ball, I activate another part of your brain, your motor cortex. If I said uh, the room smells like lavender, I'm activating yet another area in your brain right. because I'm including yet another sense. So the more sensory stimulation in this perceptive pillar you address the stronger the memory for, uh, for, that, uh, ah. for that story. And the more that you place those into a context, the stronger the memory trace yet. Because how do we retrieve memories? We retrieve them by going into a context. We went to Tibet. We went to uh, oh, London. Right. We went to school. You immediately go to a physical place. So a good story has a strong context. And within that context and that sensory stimulation, there's also something that happens across a timeline. First, we took the plane, and then we landed, and then something else happened, and then we met with these people, and then we came home. Things are going across a, a sequence. Sometimes people think they're sharing stories, but they're only sharing facts because, and the way to say that, to, to notice that, is because nothing ever happens. You can't have a story unless you have action on a timeline. Unless you've got some moving action. Oh, yes, that's, yes. Okay, yes. take that. Take that, all you storytellers. <laughs> Remember that what really did drive that ghost story that you heard at camp were those three elements. So that's and the, yes. So that's the, uh, the perceptive pillar. The other pillar is, mm -hmm. uh, is a cognitive one. And just because we have stories doesn't mean that we have to eliminate all the facts. Facts are, in fact, zoomed in stories. Mm -hmm. Facts are still part of stories. 
and abstract concepts and the meaning that we extract. So with the cognitive part, most people do very well. The third pillar is the affective pillar. That's where emotion goes. So the better the balance between perceptive, cognitive, and affective elements, the stronger and the more memorable the story. Wow. I thank you for that. And quickly, unfortunately, we're uh, racing along to the end of our times, but I do want to have, have our folks take heart and remember the following. Uh, number one, Carmen, how can people get a copy of your marvelous book, Impossible to Ignore? Impossible to Ignore is uh, available on uh, Amazon in uh, various forms and uh, anywhere else that books are sold. And uh, whoever um, buys the book, I am just very much looking forward to receiving feedback. At the end of the book, there is a way to, uh, to stay in touch with me. Okay. And also, now, the, as I mentioned earlier in the program, you have uh, taken your your scientific uh, little gray cells uh, pathways and you have turned it into something very, very uh, tangible, Rexy Media, which will help you out there make better presentations and make your thoughts much more uh, act-drivable. How, uh, how do I get in touch with uh, Rexy Media? So rexymedia.com is our website, R-E-X-I Media. And the Rexy, by the way, comes from the Latin verb to direct or to guide. So we don't have mm-hmm. to uh, hit you over your bums with the, with the tool in order to remember uh, that Latin word. R-E-X-I, <laughs> Rexy, to direct or to guide. <laughs> that's good. So you don't use Trajo tra- tra- Media or Sedusa Media, but that's another story. Uh, <laughs> Carmen, this has been just wonderful we've really uh enjoyed having you and you've got to promise that you'll come back again and uh that you'll keep us in touch of of everything you're doing i thank you so much for coming on absolutely thank you so much and thank you everyone for listening okay thank you and so as we round out today's feast of wisdom uh i am bart jackson your curator of business wisdom leaving you with today's business quotation who was it who said courage is what it takes to stand up and speak. But courage is also what it takes to sit down and listen. And hint, the author of this quote was the leader of grand old Britain who kept both his cigar and his nation's courage upright through World War II. And remember, if you know the author of this quote, just scribble it down as you believe him or her to be and send it to info at bartsbooks.com, I-N-F-O at B-A-R-T-S-B-O-O-K-S dot com to an absolutely power-thrusting, career-changing gift from the dungeons of Bart's Books Bookstore. And as a parting shot, in the words of my wife's husband, why is it most men lead lives of quiet desperation? while most women lead lives of noisy desperation. (laughs) I love that. Anyway, uh, and to you who have gleefully shared our feast, I hope you've enjoyed the Art of the CEO show as much as Carmen and I have enjoyed bringing it to you. And remember, you may download this and all our shows at blogtalkradio.com slash theartofthecEO. And next week, do tune in to Blog Talk Radio. Uh, the art of the CEO, because Mr. John Maxwell and the entire family who has been operating their shellfishing business of New Jersey off the coast 
and bringing up oysters for six generations back to the time when Andrew Jackson was president is going to tell you how time and tides have changed over the years. Uh, And finally, to those who have honored us with your time this day, may I say, as always, it has been a privilege. I thank you.